When I was a kid, I spent a lot of time out in nature and camping. And one of the things I remember most from that time is the noise, the chorus of nature. Now as an adult, I can't help but notice it's gotten a lot more quiet. And that's thanks in large part to a dramatic loss in biodiversity. In October of last year, the World Wildlife Fund's Living Planet Report found that wildlife populations have declined by an average of 69% in the last 50 years. Biodiversity at the moment is declining. And it's estimated that around 50% uh, of natural ecosystems have now been declined and around 28% of species are threatened by extinction. That's my colleague, Soon. Hello. My name is Suna Anderson, and I'm a manager in Morningstar Stenetics stewardship team. In spite of the dire numbers, Soon is hopeful that change is coming. He says that investors have taken note of the urgency. Investors are really the, the actors within the market on biodiversity so far. Um, they are the ones who are most advanced, who are thinking about setting targets and have strategies, whereas companies are, are a bit more behind. Um, that also creates a really important opportunity for investors to then engage with companies and to use their influence to ensure that the companies are appropriately managing their impacts and dependencies on biodiversity. I'm Curtis File, Editorial Manager with Morningstar Sustainalytics, and your host for this episode of ESG in Conversation, the podcast where we ask big questions about ESG and use interviews, research, and storytelling to uncover the answers. In this episode, we're asking, just what is the role of investors in ensuring that we protect biodiversity? Investors might be driving change in the markets, but as usual, it's scientists that are sounding the alarm. You know, I can remember, similar to you there, being out and, and hearing sort of vast numbers of, of different species and individuals, and, and you don't get that now. And, you know, I grew up in, in rural Kent in the southeast of England uh, in a little village, spent a lot of my youth just outside walking, uh, exploring. Um, and that's that's been at the heart of my studies ever since. That's Dr. Simon Butler. I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, sure. Hi, I'm Dr. Simon Butler. I'm an uh, associate professor at the University of East Anglia in the UK uh, with a particular interest in conservation biology and acoustic ecology. Dr. Butler wanted to better understand the implications of these changes to our natural soundscapes. So he turned his attention towards bird populations. In, the, in recent years, there have been a couple of, of really big papers um, both in the US and in Europe that have thought about or reported on large-scale declines in biodiversity. So in the States, there's been three billion birds lost from the American avifauna over the last five or six decades. And in Europe, we've lost 600 million birds from the European avifauna over the last three or four decades. It's really difficult to understand what that means for us as individuals um, as we go about our daily lives. And so I was trying to think about ways that we could interpret 
those kinds of data to, to reflect more tangible impacts of biodiversity decline at the individual level. We have a huge number of people that can uh, sort of take pleasure from watching and um, reporting birds and collecting data from birds. We have large scale citizen science projects where volunteers will go out and collect fantastic data sets on bird abundance and species richness right across the globe. And those kind of massive data sets uh, have been really, really useful into exploring some of these large scale questions. Thanks to the abundance of data on bird populations, Dr. Butler was able to look back at historical records and reconstruct soundscapes of the past. There are hundreds of thousands of sites across, across the two continents that are recorded every year. So we have a fantastic data set there. And we also have online repositories of, of recordings of individual bird species. So we can download sound files of American Robin or Eurasian Skylark or sort of, you know, different species, we can get individual sound files. So we took their list of species and number of individuals of those species and combined that with recordings of those species. So if we started with a, an empty sound file and we had, uh, it was recorded that there were you know, three American robins as the first on the list, we would insert three sound files for American robins into our soundscape and then move on to the next species and the next species and layer up those different sound files uh, to sort of build a composite soundscape. And so if you have a really rich biodiversity, then you have lots of different types of song and call in the area and you can measure the diversity of the sound there. And you can um, sort of compare it perhaps to an orchestra. When you've got a full orchestra, each of those different instruments might be a different species and each of the players of those instruments are individuals of that species. When you've got a full orchestra, you've got that really rich sound, but as species compositions changes, as we lose individuals of species, so you start to lose players from that orchestra. And the sound quality and diversity reduces as a consequence. So now we know that a soundscape that once sounded like this now sounds like this. What I hear now compared to what I would have heard 30 years ago is very, very different. And, and part of the reason that we, we did this piece of work was this concept of shifting baselines in that what, what we hear now and what my kids hear now, they think is normal and what it should be like. Whereas what we had 30 years is, is dramatically different. Thankfully, investors are beginning to listen as scientists like Dr. Butler are sounding the alarm. And they're maturing in their understanding of how biodiversity issues relate to so many of our most important industries. From an investor perspective, biodiversity is also fundamental to many of the companies that they have invested in. Agriculture, for example, depends on biodiversity for the agricultural produce, both from pollination, uh, but also from the fertility of the soil. Less recognized is the pharmaceutical industry is also to a high degree dependent on biodiversity. For example, the medicine penicillin, the antibiotic that has saved more than 200 million people's lives, was actually derived from a fungi called penicillium. And this is just one case of many other medicines that have been derived by looking into what is available uh, within biodiversity. And I think with all companies that are now being 
increasingly impacted by uh, climate change, they will also see impacts in relation to biodiversity loss because biodiversity is so integral for our ability to uh, mitigate climate change, but also to adapt to the um, extreme weather events that we're seeing and so forth. As a result, there's been a more general push from investors and regulators for companies to address their impacts on biodiversity loss. Most recently, in December 2022, 196 nations adopted a new global biodiversity framework at the UN Biodiversity Conference COP15. The framework is a multilateral agreement which sets out global targets to address biodiversity loss, restoration of ecosystems, and the protection of indigenous rights. What is happening within the framework is there's a focus on um, especially high impact industries. So for example, uh, target seven is looking at pollution. So pesticides and hazardous chemicals, as well as plastic pollution. So that will have implications for primary industries that will need to identify sources of pollution across the value chain and reduce those sources of pollution or invest in alternatives. That's my other colleague, Guyana. My name is Guyana Shabazian and my job title is ESG Research Manager for Biodiversity. Other important regulations putting pressure on investors include the EU Taxonomy and the Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, or SFDR. The EU Taxonomy aims to provide a standardized system for defining exactly what counts as a sustainable economic activity. Economic activities included in the taxonomy must contribute to one or more of the defined sustainable objectives, which include the protection and restoration of biodiversity and ecosystems. The SFDR, on the other hand, was introduced to improve transparency in the market for investment products, and it requires investors to report on one biodiversity-specific principal adverse impact. And these are activities that are negatively impacting biodiversity-sensitive areas. So, as the regulatory landscape continues to expand, just how can financial institutions and investors conduct biodiversity due diligence to make meaningful decisions? Well, it starts with good stewardship. As an investor, some of the things that you can look for when you're engaging with a company could be whether the company recognizes biodiversity as being a material topic, whether the board of the company has oversight and sufficient expertise to address biodiversity loss, how the company has assessed its impacts, its risks and opportunities associated with biodiversity loss, what is the company's strategy then to actually address these risks and opportunities, and what targets as the company set to then actually make sure that it is meeting the, the, the goals and ambitions in relation to its strategy. To help address this, there are a number of initiatives being developed. The Task Force on Nature-Related Financial Disclosures, or TFND, is playing a pivotal role in this regard. So the TNFD is a market-led initiative launched to develop disclosure recommendations for companies and financial institutions to report and act on nature-related risks and opportunities. And ultimately, the aim is to support a shift in global financial flows away from negative outcomes and toward nature-positive outcomes. It's following um, in the footsteps of the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, and the final version of the recommendations are due to be released in September. In addition to disclosure recommendations, the TFND has been developing guidance for companies and financial institutions, and that guidance is called the LEAP framework. So the LEAP approach is voluntary guidance to support companies and financial institutions to undertake a nature-related risk and opportunity assessment. 
So not everything within the LEAP approach is being asked to be reported within the disclosure recommendations. And each letter of LEAP represents a step. So L is locate, locate your interface with nature. So understand the location where business activities across the value chain are operating. Are these areas of high biodiversity importance? Next step is E, so evaluate your dependencies and impacts on nature. And moving on to A, once you understand your dependencies and impacts, you can assess your risks and opportunities to your organization. And as well, consider what action are you currently taking to mitigate and manage these risks and opportunities and what additional actions should you be taking. P, finally prepare in terms of strategy and resources that need to be allocated to act on your risks and opportunities. So what targets need to be set and also prepare to report in line with the TNFD disclosure recommendations. LEAP is a good framework to follow to identify risks and opportunities, but once such an assessment has been conducted, action needs to be taken. To help companies and investors take action, the Science-Based Target Network has developed Science-Based Nature Targets. The Science-Based Targets Network is finalizing methods which will enable companies to set science-based nature targets. So those are currently set up for companies, um, but the SBTN also has developed a framework on action to take, which can be supported by investors. So the steps in this framework draw from the mitigation hierarchy that prioritizes the avoidance and reduction of negative impacts prior to restoration and offsetting. So the regulations are rolling out and the frameworks are in place, but are companies ready for it? Well, not according to Morningstar Sustainalytics' research. Well, our research shows that companies highly exposed to biodiversity and deforestation issues are not prepared to address nature-related risks. So, for example, 41% of the utility industry and 47% of oil and gas producers either have a weak or no biodiversity program in place. And we also looked into the deforestation programs of companies within the agricultural value chain and found 62% either have a weak or no deforestation program. And we also found that not many companies are disclosing targets either. We only found 17% of companies reported a biodiversity target. And that unsurprisingly equates to a lack of action as well on biodiversity. So we found that only 21% of companies are currently implementing the mitigation hierarchy, which is an approach that prioritizes the avoidance and reduction of negative impacts on biodiversity. And this is really important to integrate biodiversity issues at the governance level to have it incorporated within decision making, within decisions around strategy and finance as well. But it doesn't look like companies are currently incorporating biodiversity within their governance. We found that only 33% of companies have managerial or board level oversight on the topic. One of the main challenges holding companies back is a lack of data. That's particularly tricky for companies with long and complex supply chains. Um, but frameworks such as the science-based targets for nature, they are finalizing their methods 
on target setting and within those methodologies there's a wealth of information on tools and uh, resources on how to prioritize target setting and also data sources that you can find on in order to prioritize and set your targets. As companies struggle with addressing their data gaps, investors will have to be mindful of greenwashing. What we do see related to, to biodiversity is that some companies kind of address the low-hanging fruits first and not necessarily the most material impacts. So you see companies disclosing that they have done a great initiative for biodiversity because they have been out planting uh, trees or they have been not mowing their lawn for the past month, um, which can have good, okay benefits for biodiversity. Uh, like planting trees could also have a negative impact. Preventing greenwashing means investors will have to be strategic in the way they engage companies. They have to be mindful not only of the companies they invest in, but their whole value chain as well. I think there is uh, two key points to be made there. Um, one is that you as an investor, you're focused on the financial risk associated with these impacts on biodiversity. And those financial risks are not going to be only for those companies that have a direct impact on biodiversity. So when companies are going to have to disclose on their impacts on biodiversity, that includes their whole value chain. So that can also introduce reputational risk to that company that is further down the supply chain that don't necessarily have the direct impacts. The second reason for why you want to engage with not only those companies that have a direct impact is that by focusing on the whole value chain, you're actually taking multiple parts of the value chain into effect to address the issue. One example is that we're speaking with a commodity um, producer and trader. And they mentioned to us that they are currently experiencing an increased uh, focus from their financiers to actually address biodiversity loss as well. So when we as an engagement provider are engaging with both the financiers and also the customers of those companies that have direct impacts on biodiversity, we're actually using multiple ways of influencing that company indirectly. All companies will eventually be required to disclose their impact on biodiversity. But it begs the question, is it really possible to address all of the complex issues around biodiversity through these frameworks and regulations? Possibly. But we'll have to work fast and we'll have to work together. Incorporating local stakeholders, you know, including um, local communities or indigenous people when you're tackling biodiversity is fundamental. Otherwise, it's game over as well. So the only solution is to do this all together. It's nature positive it's net zero and a just transition. It's all got to come together. We can't just address them separately. There's not time for that and it wouldn't make sense to do so. That's it for this episode of ESG in Conversation. If you'd like more information about investor engagement on biodiversity, head over to our resource center at sustainalytics.com or reach out to our biodiversity engagement team. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics you'd like to learn more about, email us at podcast at sustainalytics.com. Thanks to Guyana Asun and Dr. Butler for joining me today and providing their insights. Copyright 2023 Sustainalytics, all rights reserved. Sustainalytics does not assess current market trends, legal or regulatory developments, but only opines on recent ESG-relevant developments. 
the information and data contained herein are proprietary of Sustainalytics and or third-party content providers. These are intended for informational, non-commercial use only, and may not be copied, distributed, or used in any other way, including via citation. These do not constitute an endorsement of any product or project, nor investment advice or expert opinion, are not part of any offering and do not constitute an offer or indication to buy or sell securities and have not been submitted to nor received approval from any relevant regulatory bodies. Sustainalytics assumes no responsibility for the reliability, completeness, or accuracy of any opinion provided herein and makes no representation or warranty as to any of the information, including without limitation, any representation or warranty that the information or any portion of it is accurate, complete, or suitable for a particular purpose. Neither Sustainalytics Morningstar nor its content providers are responsible for any damages or losses arising from any use of this information, and use is subject to conditions available at www.sustainalytics.com forward slash legal disclaimers.